Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A Teenager. Learning the Lingo. GOAT. G-O-A-T. Acronym stands for greatest of all time, as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, you can check us out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. You can also email me. Imagine it's Saturdays with Joy Keys at Hotmail.com. I would love to hear from you, questions, comments, concerns. Feel free to email me. You want to follow on social media because you guys know I do a lot of giveaways, books, gift cards, different things. So check us out on the different social media platforms. You never know when I'm going to pop up a giveaway. You can also check out these shows. If you've missed something, they're all archived. You can check them out on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio. Well, this morning we're talking about diabetes. We're going to focus mainly on diabetes type 2, but I have some experts with me. Uh, first, I have Anthony Wilson. Uh, he is with us on behalf of the American Heart Association, I'm sorry, American Diabetes Association, uh, and he's the national ambassador for No Diabetes by Heart. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning, Joy. How are you doing this morning? I am well, and thanks for waking up and delaying the pancakes to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> no pancakes for me, but... <laughs> no welcome. pancakes, okay. Protein, protein, right? Exactly. We'll talk about exactly. that. Our other guest is uh, Dr. Stephanie Chung. She's a clinical researcher from the National, National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. Um, she also is a pediatric endocrinologist. Good morning, Dr. Chung. Good morning, Joy. Great to be here. Thank you again for uh, waking up and taking the time to share your knowledge. So, you know, there's a lot of information out there to sort through if somebody finds out they might have diabetes. But Dr. Chang, I'm going to start with you. There's more than one type of diabetes. There's type 1 and there's type 2. Can you tell us what the difference is? Yes, of course, Joy. I think first we want to find out well, what really is diabetes. And diabetes itself just means that your blood sugar is too high. And it's caused by either an insulin, you don't have enough insulin, or you make some insulin and your body doesn't use it very well, so it doesn't work very well. And that's the main mm. difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes, your blood sugar is high because you don't make enough insulin, 
There, your immune system has attacked your pancreas that makes the insulin, and this is more common in kids and young adults. Type 2 diabetes is more common in the adult population, although we do see it in kids. And in these persons, you make insulin, um, but you don't make enough, and what you do make doesn't work very well. And so you end up with the same end result, which is your blood sugar is high. Wow. Now, Anthony, how did you find out that you had diabetes, and what type of diabetes do you have? So for me, back in 2012, uh, my wife and I was on a journey to lose weight, and I was losing a lot more weight than she was, and, you know, I was talking all kinds of mess to her about I look good, you know, losing the weight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, us, you know us men and how we are. <laughs> so, you know, I... um you know, one, one morning she said, babe, you just don't look good. And I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay, okay. She said, no, I think I need to take you to the hospital um, just to get checked out. So I ended up going to the hospital. Um, when I get in the hospital, come to find out my blood sugar was 1098 and my A1C was 17.2, and I was in multi-system failure. And for me, mm. unfortunately, you know, I go to the doctor every year, have been going to the doctor, um, my blood sugar had been fine, and, you know, it's like it just happened in, like, three or four months, which was which was weird for me. Um, so back in 2012, I was diagnosed, and I've been living with it ever since. But fortunately enough, um, you know, I, I maintain a great blood sugar, a great A1C with the help of my endocrinologist. So that's how I was diagnosed. It was, like, overnight for some reason. So you were talking no smack. You, you were talking smack to your wife, and, and then now here, here you are. Um, Dr. Uh, Chung, is it something you've heard where people were doing fine, and as Anthony said, then it happened over a couple of months, or is it always creeping up on us? Like how long does it take for somebody to realize that they might have diabetes? Uh, really, I guess also what are the symptoms? Yeah, so Joy, that's a a really good question and really important. And we do have patients just like Anthony who say, I was fine. I go to my doctor regularly. It's not that I miss out. And then, you know, we, we get them come in and for whatever reason, sometimes they still feel fine because diabetes is a silent disease. You cannot tell just by feeling that your blood sugar is slowly going up. And so it seems mm. as if it's sudden, but we are sometimes not able to catch that window of what we call pre-diabetes, where your okay. blood sugar is starting to rise, uh, but you don't feel any symptoms. And the symptoms mm-hmm. of diabetes when your blood sugar is very high are similar. They're exactly the symptoms that Anthony described. You just start to lose a lot of weight. Your body is under stress and you start to lose this weight. You actually start to lose some of the weight. You lose some of the sugar in your urine. And in some cases, you don't feel good. You feel tired, sleepy, thirsty. You may go to the bathroom very often or wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Um, and so if anyone has any of those symptoms, they should go either to the doctor or, or to their uh, primary care provider, the emergency room, right away and get it checked out. Now, Anthony, um, once you found out, what changes did you have to make in terms of your diet, your eating? So, real quick, I just wanted to, to add on to Dr. Joy, I mean, Dr. 
Chung's response. You know, for me, I was using the bathroom, and I was drinking, and I was craving mango juice. But for me, and I think, you know, most people probably would do the same, I thought it was just my metabolism. I said, okay, I'm working out hard. You know, um, uh, you know, I feel good, so I'm drinking, and I'm using the bathroom, so maybe that's what it's supposed to be doing. And, you know, for me being in the EMS field for, like, almost 35 years, you don't think about that. But for me, right. you know, as soon as we found, yeah, but as soon as we found out, and the first thing we did was uh, educate ourselves. So as a family, you know, we went to see the, the dietitian, and then, you know, we would go in the stores, and we still do that now. We go in the stores, we relabel together, um, and then we cook together and we eat together. So doing it as a family made it a whole lot easier to understand. And then we visited, you know, sites like the American Diabetes Association site, you know, just to get ideas and tips on um, eating habits and eating healthy more than anything else. Now, Dr. Chung, what are things people should, I guess, be wary of and what should they eat more of if they are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes? So we really are looking forward now to individualized and personalized care, and that means that one size doesn't fit all. And so I always hesitate to prescribe any particular diet and really want to emphasize what Anthony says is that this is a collaboration between you and your healthcare team. So the doctor is just one part of your healthcare team and speaking with the nutritionists and the nurses and the diabetes educators is really, really key to finding the right uh, healthy lifestyle and exercise regimen for you. If you think broadly, you want to get really healthy foods um, that have a lot of color. So when, you know, I'm a, I'm a pediatrician, I talk to my kids, but I find that this is good for the family as well. You mm. get foods that are not just brown or pale or gray. So you don't have a lot of bread. You don't have a lot of rice. You should have. There's no, you should not restrict yourself and never have anything. That's not living. <laughs> but you yeah, want to go for the you want to go for the purple sweet potatoes, the orange carrots. So so fruits and vegetables that have um, that have a lot of color is is the good sort of motto to live by. And then uh, for activity, the American Heart and both the American Diabetes Association really recommends about 30 minutes of physical activity, so getting your heart rate up just so that you get a little bit short of breath at least five times a week. I like to talk about that in terms of steps. So nowadays we have our phones that record our steps, we have monitors, and there's, there's always these little things that you can buy, and the American Heart recommends that you get 10,000 steps a day for optimal activity. Anthony, hmm. um, <laughs> he said, hmm. now I was going to no, ask I you what. I say, that. I, know I say that because we do that. So we all have our uh, Apple Watches synced together, and it's always a battle to see who can get the most steps in a day. Yeah. Um, so I can look at Kayla, and I'll be like, oh, man, she's got 9,000. I only got four. You know, what can I do to exactly. beat her? And, it, you know, and it's a game. But, again, you know, like she said, you don't have to do anything super strenuous if it's just walking, walking around the block, you know, right. just something to get healthy, to exercise. But I'm sorry, yeah, it just made me think about that because it's just, you know, you, again, we talk about doing it as a family, and that's just another yeah. way to uh, encourage others to exercise with you. 
I think that's really important. I mean, they always talk about, you know, families eating together at dinner, you know, regardless of having any kind of uh, illness or anything, but just that act of doing things together, having that support as a family. Now, um, is swimming good? Can people run? Um, should they be, watch out for getting their heart rate too high, Dr. Chung? That's a, that's a good question. I think, uh, one, again, one size doesn't fit all, so you should really talk with your doctor about your particular condition. You may have mm-hmm. uh, certain things and rules you have to abide by and activities to avoid if you have a heart condition, for example. Um, it, it wouldn't be good for you to just get up and, and run 10K, you know, <laughs> right away. Uh, but the uh, there there really is no blanket recommendation to avoid any particular activity uh you walking is always safe and great and i think to simplify it that's why american heart tried to put this in terms of steps um but swimming is a great activity doesn't really put a lot of impact on your knees but there's a whole host of other things we can do as well um Riding a bicycle, so mm-hmm. speak with your even doctor stepping and find the even stepping in your house. So in the pandemic, Joy, I know we've talked about this a little bit before the show. You know, we were all restrained. We we for a period of time really couldn't leave our houses, and so we really turned to our our kiddo, our patient population, and we helped them. You know, dance in front of the screens and just walk in circles. <laughs> When I was younger, I remember my, my, my grandma saying, sit down, don't, don't run around the house. And then we were now doing the complete opposite, telling the kids, run around the house. Anthony, so, so what does your family do during this COVID period and, 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 and coping with the diabetes? Well, you know, we did, we did exercise, so we got out in the community and we walked because um, all the rec centers and, and those you know, type of facilities were closed down. Um, so we made sure we, we walked. And, again, you know, we being in medical field, we both had to work, so that didn't change um, our daily routine. You know, but we did continue to try to eat healthy and eat together to ensure that, uh, you know, we could maintain our, well, at least my blood sugar. And then, you know, my wife's and daughter's as well. And, again, I think the key to that is, you know, wanting to be healthy because we knew we couldn't go see our primary care physicians or our endocrinologists, um, you know, to, to be treated in the office. Yes. So everything was virtual. Um, so I made it a point to, to work double time to ensure my, my blood sugar was under control and uh, my, my blood pressure because I have hypertension as well. Um, and, again, that's one of the, the, the side effects. So, now, you know, I try Anthony, to, try to can make I, Can I ask you a can I ask you, if someone else in your family, do you have a history of diabetes or, like, you're the first person that you know of? So I have a history. I have a history. So on my – on both sides of the family, but, you know, especially on my mom's side, you know, my grandmother, okay. my uncles, um, and they both – well, my, my grandmother passed away a few years ago from complications of diabetes, um, and mm. she was on dialysis. The same thing with my mom's brother. He passed away a couple of years ago from complications of diabetes, and he was on dialysis. I have an uncle now who's on dialysis, and again for me, you know, that's another major concern for me um, is you know, having kidney disease, you know, from my, mm-hmm. my diabetes. So, for me to maintain uh, a healthy A1C and blood sugar uh, is, you know, just so imperative for me to to uh, to be healthy. 
because again, I, I see what they go through, and I don't want to go through that, and I don't want any of my family and friends to go go through that. You know, so I try to, you know, share the message, um, and then you know let people you know bounce things off of me with hopes of uh, helping them more than anything else. Now, Dr. Chung, is it um, something you've seen where people have a history, meaning like their mother or their father or their uncle, and yeah. um, or is it more that it's like an anomaly, like, oh, this random person and nobody in their family has ever had it? Yeah, so with type 2 diabetes, we really think about it in terms of two main uh, causes of diabetes. And a family history, or what we call a genetic cause, is very, very strong. And so in depending on the, the groups that you look in, more than 50% of the patients that come into our clinics have a family history of type 2 diabetes. So their mom had it or a close relative like an uncle had it. And in the populations, there's also a difference in terms of populations. So I'm Caribbean, I'm from Jamaica. In Jamaica, we have a, a real predisposition to having diabetes as well, and, and African-American and African descent populations do, as well as Hispanic populations. But just that genetic predisposition isn't the end-all, be-all. There are the other main cause of diabetes is what our environment, so the influence of excess weight gain on top of this genetic risk is what really pushes some people to diabetes. Not, not everyone, um, but we do see that as, as, a, as two main risk factors. One of the things you see on TV is um, people having to prick their finger to test their blood sugar, mm-hmm. but now I see um, other um, instruments, I'll say, that people can use. Can you talk about some of these um, instruments and things that people use to test their blood sugar? Yes, I would would love to. In in the diabetes field, we are in such an exciting time in terms of technology. Uh, Just, you know, two decades ago, we were sort of uh, struggling, battling. We have this one, you know, one glucometer. That's the the machine you use, and you get a little drop of blood to, to prick your finger. And the continuous glucose monitors or the monitors that stay, they sort of, stay on your body. They're a little bit uh, bigger than a quarter. They stick on your body for seven to 10 days, and then they sort of continuously measure your blood sugar over that 10 day and, and take a sample every five minutes. And they've really revolutionized how we can take care of ourselves, how our patients can know what their blood sugars in uh, are in real time and prevent both low blood sugars as well as know when their sugars are trending up high and they need to sort of cut back on their eating or give themselves a little bit more medication like insulin. Now, Anthony, what are you, do you mind me asking what you use to test your blood sugar? So I use a Freestyle Libre um, and it's, you know, a 30-day. You stick the patch on the back of your arm. And again, like you said, it makes it so much easier and convenient because I don't have to stick myself. And I think that's when a lot of people uh, let their blood sugar get out of control because I know, you know, people at work who have uh, type 2 diabetes and refuse to check their blood sugar because they don't like needles. Um, so mm-hmm. I've encouraged them to, you know, look out for this device and you put it on and you just scan it. And, you know, two of those individuals okay. ended up you know, doing the same thing and they checked their blood sugar and, you know, their A1C has, uh, you know, been under control. But, I think that works the best for me and probably most people out there. 
Now, he just mentioned A1C. Um, what is that, Dr. Chung, um, and, and what is, how, why is that so important? Joy, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I think one of the first things that we, we strive to do, especially in our pediatric clinics, is just explain the lingo, the language, because you go in and doctor is talking about A2C or A1, what does that mean? And uh, <laughs> And so the, you know, in order for us to diagnose, so we start from the beginning. So when um, Anthony was first going into the hospital, what they're going to do is they're going to do a blood test. And the blood test can either be from the finger stick or from the big vein right in the arm. And the main test they do is a test called the A1C. And that gives you your average blood sugar over the last three months. And if you do not have diabetes, your blood sugars are what we call into that normal range, your level is going to be about 5.6 and below. If you have diabetes, the level is 6.5. And you don't need to remember this, you know, just, just to kind of think about it, but that level is 6.5% or higher. And if the, the listeners recall, Anthony's blood sugar was very high. His A1C was 17%. So anything mm-hmm. above 10%, you know, is very, very severe, very high blood sugar. And uh, he mentioned that he had, you know, multiple organs had was starting to shut down, and that's the dangerous side. Now, we use the A1C not just to diagnose diabetes, but to actually monitor what's happening over time. So usually if you have diabetes, you go see your doctor every three months or so, and the doctor looks at that as well as the monitor, so as well as the continuous glucose monitor, to match and see, you know, where your glucose level is, what is the average. And if you have diabetes, we really want your average A1C to be less than 7%. Now, I also understand when you have diabetes, you have to be concerned about your eyes and your feet. Anthony, did anybody mm-hmm. talk to you about that issue, and what did they say to you, Anthony? Yes, they did. Um, that was one thing my endocrinologist you know, stressed the importance of, you know, going to see a doctor, having my, my eyes checked. And recently, about two weeks ago, I did go see my eye doctor, and, you know, he looked at my eyes and he said, everything looks good um, right now. He said, just as long as you maintain your you know, your your blood sugar, you should be fine. Um, and in my feet, I do go see a podiatrist as well just to ensure, you know, I have healthy feet, I don't have any cuts or scars and anything that's not healing. And I saw him about two months ago, and he said everything looked well on my feet, had good circulation uh, as well. Because, again, you know, the decreased circulation can lead to many, many other problems, you know, and eventually if it's not maintained, you know, it could uh, – you know, cause some neuropathy in my feet, but um, that's definitely another important factor to take in consideration if you're living with diabetes. Now, Dr. Chung, he just talked about neuropathy. What is that uh, in, in, in relation to the feet? And, and, and also, why are the eyes important to get checked, and what are they looking for in the eyes? Right. So, the high blood sugar over time can cause damage to various different systems. And the nerves are particularly susceptible. So the nerves in the eye uh, can be affected, and they, uh, that's what we call the neuropathy. In the eye, we call it the, the retina is there, and so we call it diabetic eye disease or retinopathy. Uh, and there's mm-hmm. usually decreased vision that's associated with that and even blindness. And the good things about 
making our listeners aware of these things is that if we catch some of these, many of these complications early, well, one, we can prevent them if your blood sugar is within the optimal range, less than 7%. But two, if you have the complications and you get it early, you can prevent any blindness that can come from the eye disease. If the diabetes affects the nerves in the feet, and sometimes in the hands, but more commonly in the feet, that's called neuropathy. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, the end result, that could lead to real problems with decreased sensation in the feet. And uh, we want to really protect our feet and keep from getting any cuts or bruises so that we prevent diabetic foot disease. Wow. You guys have been wonderful this morning, and you shared a lot of great information. Um, thank you, Anthony Wilson. Again, he is a national ambassador for No, no Diabetes by Heart uh, with the American Diabetes Association. And thank you, Dr. Chung. Uh, she's a clinical researcher from NIDDK, um, National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. Thank you both. Uh, I think this is wonderful information. Um, are, are there anything that are, do you go to any support groups, Anthony? Real quick, um, if so, how can people connect with the, the support groups that the Diabetes Association has? All right. So for me, the American Diabetes Association, you know, they do provide education through the Diabetes Self Management Support Group, um, and it's a network that's nationwide. So you can just you know go to the American Diabetes Association website for the information. And you can also talk to your healthcare professional, like Dr. Chung, um, to see what they have available. But, you know, most markets, you know, they do have a, a local American Diabetes Association office, and you can get great, you know, resources and help for them. And then volunteer if you have the opportunity. You know, volunteer to either for the American Heart Association or for the American Diabetes Association. You meet a lot of people, um, you know, are battling the same thing. They may have, you know, ideas and solutions of, you know, how to manage both of those diseases. Now, Dr. Chung, you know, you said you're a pediatric endocrinologist. As a parent, yeah. real quick, what are some things parents need to look out for uh, if a kid might be having type 2 diabetes? Yes. So one of the most important things is going to their pediatrician and keeping those well-child visits, even in this era of it's so crazy with COVID. And so going in, speaking to your to your physician and being uh, cautious about, you know, is my child growing appropriately? Does he or she have excess weight for his height? So that's what we call BMI. Excess weight on the body is one of the biggest risk factors, the biggest risk factor for diabetes development in kids. And unfortunately, we are seeing an a rise in the number of kids who are presenting with type 2 diabetes. Even though they're young, um, this excess weight gain that has been associated with COVID seems to have precipitated this rise in type 2 diabetes cases. Um, if, of course, if you notice any of the symptoms we mentioned before, uh, increased thirst, uh, get, you know, unusually getting up in the middle of the night to, to use the bathroom. Your child just seems very tired or listless and they're just very, very thirsty. Don't hesitate. It's better to go get the kiddo checked out. Well, you heard it here first. Again, thank you, Dr. Chung. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> I hope you guys have a, a happy holiday. Um, and uh, thank you again for coming on. Thank, Thank you, so you Joy. Much. It was really wonderful to be here. Happy holidays <laughs> to everyone.
<laughs> everybody you. stay safe. See you later. Yes, everybody stay safe. Get your booster. <laughs> yes. um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, just got off the phone with the National Ambassador Anthony Wilson from the American Diabetes Association. And, again, uh, Dr. Stephanie Chung. She's a clinical researcher from the National Institute of Diabetes and Digestive and Kidney Diseases. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking with author Nadifa Muhammad about her book, The Fortune Men. So stay tuned for that. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov.